On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers' ownership, their decision to ask full-time salaried staff to voluntarily reduce their salary, their decision then to walk that back, and what that means. We then dive into the Sixers' mailbag, which includes a question on whether or not the ownership's decision could hurt them in free agency, what the best starting lineup we can construct from Process Sixers would be, how much the Sixers are better off now than they were before the process started, and whether or not the financial ramifications of the NBA season shutting down could lead to a drop in revenue, which could potentially then reintroduce an amnesty clause and who we might use that on if that hypothetical did play out. Today's episode of the Sixers Beat is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Hey, doing, Rich? I'm good, man. Or, you know, You're as good as we, we can be. Um, a very a very quarantined version of the Sixers beat. So, luckily, depending on how you want to view this, the Sixers actually gave us some news to talk about. Not in, luckily. In, a, in an era, well, it is luckily because they eventually, anyway, we'll get to that. In an era where you are almost not allowed to go outside, the Sixers, and there's no games, obviously, the Sixers have found a way to put themselves on the front page of the newspaper, or I assume they would if I ever still bought a newspaper. They made news. <sighs> they have bungled so PR since the beginning of time. <laughs> yeah, they really have. They really have. And, uh, you know, we say this, and I don't think, like, I don't think any of the people in the actual PR department here were involved in this decision. So I don't want to put this one on them and mostly find people that work in that division. I'll have some complaints about them from time to time, but I don't think this is one of them. Yeah, I, I should rephrase it. They make their PR people work harder than yeah. anybody else in the league. Well, no, not that New York team up the up the road. That's a fair, other fair point. That, yeah. Other than that. So it started off on Monday night when Mark Stein of the New York Times reported that the Sixers at will employees earning $50,000 or more per year uh, will receive salary reductions of up to 20% during this time when there's no games played, uh, beginning on April 15th. It was then clarified that contracted employees, salaried employees, including coaching staff in the front office, were asked to opt in to the same deductions because you cannot, they, they have a contract. You cannot force them to the same way you can with at-will employees. This caused a decent amount of stir online, as you would expect it to. And then the following day, Joel Embiid, uh, there were reports, Joel Embiid didn't tweet this out specifically, but there were reports that Joel Embiid was going to pledge $500,000 to help the efforts against uh, coronavirus and then also to help cover the costs, the lost salary of the employees who were financially hurt by this. Very quickly after that, reports came out that the Sixers owners had changed their mind. A, a, a screenshotted notes message was sent out by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. And then a press release a few minutes later 
saying that they had met with, what was it? They met with the staff. They heard the concerns of the staff and reversed their decisions. It's never good when you have to go into the notes app, by the way. No, no notes apps are never good press releases. So I guess what are you, because I, I, I just wrote an article about this on theathletic.com slash Philly. You can check that out. What are your general thoughts on this? I guess we'll start off with. I guess my first disclaimer that I'd like to make is that the Sixers are a small part of a bigger problem and an issue that we're feeling uh, that we're dealing with as a country and you know a world during these times. Like non-sports corporations need to be taking care of their people. The government needs to be helping small businesses. I am really worried about bars and restaurants. By the way, yep. Like I, I was disappointed with all the people who were out of bars a couple weeks ago. But I say this as someone who fucking loves bars and uh, you know. Or- I- I, I, I hate saying this because I like I like to make my own food. Order as much takeout as you can. Order as much delivery as you can. Buy gift cards. Yeah. Buy gift cards. That is how you, you can help them right now. Yeah. Like, bar around the corner from me, my wo- local watering hole, it's closed, which is good because they're keeping their people healthy. But the first day they reopen, I am ordering an embarrassing amount of takeout. So so please do that at your favorite local place, whatever it is, um, when that happens. But hey, we're a Sixers podcast. We care about the team. People care about the team. What was the quote in your article from Josh Harris at Sloan? It's pertinent here. Yeah, it is. uh, One second. Uh, We, meaning Apollo, own this company, Lyondell Chemicals, a $50 billion chemical company. The public doesn't really care about what the cost of polypropylene is. Uh, But the Sixers starting lineup, everyone has an opinion. It matters to the city. It matters to the fans. It's written about. So the press element of sports is really significant. It's something that stirs the public consciousness. And I think that last part is really what I was getting at. The press element of sports is something he doesn't have to deal with in his quote-unquote day job, which is what he loves to call Apollo every chance he gets. Uh, It's something that stirs the public consciousness. Yep. And that is exactly what happened here. So first thing, I think what bothered me was that they were first to do this. Like, Like, at least wait and see what other teams do. They they got out in front of this. And then the combination of that with them. By the way, just to, just as a reminder, like we've been out of basketball for all of two weeks. Like we're very early in this process. Totally. Like, like at least take a little while to read the landscape of how things are going. And then with them backtracking, it's clear that they could take a hit. Like, look, I am not an economist, nor do I play one on TV. But especially when Embiid stepped up and said that he was pledging money, the public relations aspect of this was undeniable. Me and you both tweeted (laughs) this out. Like, we would have to be idiots not to point this out. Millionaire stepping in for billionaires. Looks terrible. There's a difference between between rich and wealthy. You need more from the wealthy people. And and the second thought on this is, you know, I don't have any inside info. But I think you can read the tea leaves on what Embiid did here pretty clearly. What he did was generous, and I think he deserves, you know, to be applauded for that. But for him to come out literally one day after this was announced, the salary reductions for at-will employees and then the suggestion for people who were on salary, and for him to pledge $500,000, I think a major part of his thinking was to shame the Sixers into looking bad. I think he didn't like it. And Joel he Joel is way too savvy savvy. Savvy. To have what is it, savvy? savvy. Yes. <laughs> shut up. 
to have not known what that was going to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I always talk about how he needs to operate, you know, he needs to wield his power in a smart way. But usually we're talking about basketball decisions, right? Who's the coach? Who are my teammates? That type of thing. And I think the the best example of it was last year when he stepped up and said, Brett Brown should not be fired. It's ridiculous that they're even talking about that. You know, so like he needs to know when to use his power in the right ways because like things can go bad if you if you use it at every turn. This was more of a real life example, but this was him using his platform and uh and wielding his power, I think, in a very smart way. And it's a little bit awkward that his employers that are paying him what, like twenty eight million dollars a year? He made them look really bad. And yeah. uh you know, in my opinion, he was right to do so. But uh, I don't think you can overlook that part of it, though. No, I think, like, we can talk about the public reaction. I think that played a part. Like, I think this is a, a, a management team that pays attention to that and can be shamed into stuff on its own. I think maybe the excuse that talking to the staff was a reason for the decision, I don't buy that. I think that was a pretty low percentage of the equation here hey staff do you want your salary to be cut no conversation over right (laughs) Embiid stepping up like that i think was a very big portion of this and it was we very frequently say that joel Embiid, outside of ownership joel Embiid is the most important person in this organization and has the most influence in this organization and maybe you can make a case that Ben Simmons, because of how you project the career longevity, is stepping up into that realm. But it's always been Embiid. And for a day here in the middle of March when we're not allowed to play basketball, Joel Embiid was even more powerful than the ownership group. And I think this was an instance where he needed to step up and assert that. I agree with you. I think it was really telling. I mean, if you want to start comparing someone like Josh Harris, net worth of, I think, $3.8 billion, uh, Michael Rubin, I think $2.9 billion. I say Rubin next because even though he's not the, the managing partner or the co-managing partner, which is Harris and Blitzer, I believe his net worth is higher than Blitzer. So I list him second. If you want to start comparing those billions with $28 million, make a little pie chart of that. It gets You see the discrepancy real quickly. And for Joel Embiid to be like, no, it's okay. Like I don't need this money. Here, you guys making $50,000 a year Make sure you live okay. Make sure this doesn't impact your life. It really, it's a real stark contrast. It's a real good way to get the public on your side. And it's a real good way to look at where Josh Harris's priorities are not. What really got me is $50,000. $50,000 a year isn't some someone, especially if they have a family, living like the high life. People people in that, that, that bracket start losing 20% of their salary. You're going to feel that. You're going to feel that on a day-to-day basis. That's going to make an impact on your daily lives, on your family's daily lives. Like for that number to be so low. Like if you're going to tell me, okay, Scott O'Neill and Chris Heck and some of the high level guys, Elton you're going Brand. to ask them to take a pay People cut. like that. They'll be okay. Elton, Brett, like they'll be okay. But 50000 a year is not anywhere near that. And it's just like you have the means so this isn't an issue. You have – there are a bunch of people in that organization who have the means to make sure this is an issue – this is one of those times where you expect a little bit more out of your leaders, where you expect a little bit more out of the people who are capable of providing more. And Josh Harris came up small in this one. So now they have taken the PR hit 
and they're not saving any money. Yep. So and Joel Embiid uh, looks like the savior. Yep. Yeah, while he's getting fat playing video games right now. <laughs> well, well, that's the next podcast. Give us one podcast without that concern. Um, no, yeah, it was it was a good move by him, but like like you said, we're two weeks into this. I think. Who are the other people who have pledged money to workers? That would be Giannis. Cat, right? Uh, Kevin Love did it, I believe. So a lot of people. Look at the timing of when this happened for Embiid. And I know Howard Eskin was pressuring him into doing it um, a few weeks ago. You're right. He's had two weeks to make this pledge. He does it that day. Mm. Yeah. So that's an interesting dynamic when we all hopefully get back to normal life again. That's a little weird. So for now, though, my main hope here is that Woj reported – you know, this was happening in real time that these owners around the league were worried about the PR hit. They didn't want their net worth net worth tweeted out. Well, guess what? It is going to be. Okay. Yes, it is. Look, man, I, this would not just happen in Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia was a perfect place for it to start, though, because you knew. Look, I mean, we're, I would say we're both pretty reserved on Twitter, right? As soon as more M- than I used to be, yeah. Yep. As soon as Embiid came out with that, how can you not note that? You know, we're not even, you know, the the fan base is screaming, but we both tweeted it out like this is a really really bad look. Um, so my hope is that the rest of these owners step up to the plate and at least pay their people for as long as they logically can. Like I hate 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 that they have to be shamed into doing so and just can't say hey. We'll take for us, you know, you talked about pie charts earlier. For us, what is a minor hit in this unprecedented time for the time being. But I guess that's the world we live in. But it seems like the rest of the league got a pretty good look at what the blowback's going to be like if they try and cut salary at all. Right. And I'm sure that the calculation they're not doing is, oh, no, I don't want people to think I'm a bad guy. It's probably more, oh, no, could this negative publicity impact our business? And look, if that's a hammer you've got to wield to make them do the right thing, then so be it. Like you, I wish it didn't come to that, but that is, um, you know, that's how these people become billionaires. Yeah. God, you, you would just think like, hey, like, this is a completely unprecedented This time. is unique. This is a humanitarian crisis. Like, you didn't ask more than two for, you didn't ask for this. start cutting salaries. Yeah, you didn't ask for this. We get it, but nobody asked for it. And there are a lot right. of people who are much more at risk than you. Everybody. All right. Do we want to move on to... Mailbag questions. Yeah, I think that's enough blasting them. (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break to tell you about DoorDash. DoorDash has something for every lifestyle. On the go with no time to waste, order, pick up, and pass the line. Having trouble organizing a meal with your friends? We make it easy with group ordering. DoorDash is more than just delivery, and delivery is more than just pizza in 2020. With a selection of your favorite flavors from across the globe, you can order world cuisine from the comfort of your living room with DoorDash. DoorDash brings all of America's flavors to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 310,000 restaurant partners in 4,000 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code SIXERS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code SIXERS. 
Don't forget, that's code Sixers for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And now back to the show. Okay. Uh, we'll start this off with uh, one that's related. From Evan at EvanMaz1 on Twitter. Basically, do you think the daily dysfunction of this organization can hurt our free agent appeal? So, whatever just happened here certainly won't help. Sometimes I think we try and read into the day-to-day of an yeah, organization. We, let's put it this way. No, if, if you as a fan are upset that maybe their hiring process for a general manager wasn't extensive enough, or that they promoted from within, or that maybe there's uncertainty over who's in charge, I don't think that's going... I don't think a free agent is sitting at home going, well... They're giving me more money and more of their mid-level exception, but eh, I don't, I don't know about their hiring process. That that's not a factor. Yeah. And I mean, like realistically, when we get back to real life, somebody won't say, "Well, I didn't like what they did with their workers jumping out in front. They're they're offering me the same amount of money, and they're a much better team than the other team is offering me me that amount of money." Like, I think they will likely still side with the Sixers. Sometimes I think we read into the day to day and think it has this overarching meaning and, you know, teams that sign free agents have done everything right and blah, blah, blah. And so some of it is just these weird circumstances. And, you know, I think we've ripped the front office a good amount. I don't like the job they've done overall, but when you're a free agent, I think you look at the infrastructure that the Sixers have first off two star level players great practice facility and you know good place to live philadelphia it's you know it's not miami but it's it's also not some of the worst places in the league um i don't think like that'll kill your uh your free agent ambitions i I frankly don't think it'll have that big of an effect but it's you know it's it's not good for sure no no i mean when you're a free agent money how do i fit how will i be showcased what's my role what's my touches how do I fit alongside the players? I think I said fit twice, but whatever. It's really important. Those are the factors that will come in. Maybe comfort with the coaching staff or comfort with the players that you already know. But stuff like this, no. Where you know where you might wonder is, hey, if they need to hire some coaches in the future, do they remember this? Do front offices remember this? Especially if this is a situation where the rest of the league saw the Sixers. I saw somebody compare it to like the Raptors in Jurassic Park testing the fence. If the rest of the league doesn't now <laughs> test the fence and the Sixers are the only ones who made this move, will a coach or a front office member maybe remember this and factor that? And look, that would probably still be a small percentage of the equation because you don't expect a coronavirus pandemic to hit again. But, you know, that's where maybe a very small influence could happen. It's a good point. And even that, I think, is very small. Asking the coaches to take a hit. Yeah, that's a good point. That might be a tiebreaker. Well, especially when most of their, you know, we're talking a three-month hit that starts on April 15th. Most of their contracts end July 1st. And a lot of them don't know if they're going to be back. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty tough move to ask for. Yeah. But I think more than anything, you look at their general salary cap space. That's what's going right. to not have the free agents come here. Although, you know. Money, sh- future money, and winning. Yep. But like when you're, we're talking about, let's say they can spend a good portion of their mid-level exception this offseason. Like, I think they will be pretty high up on a lot of people's lists. And whatever happened here is not going to kill them in that regard. All right. From uh, Senor Talon, what is the best team that you can form 
with former process players, and you're going by their current day productivity, i.e. not Jason Richardson when he was back with Golden State. Fun one. So uh, let me ask this. How did you, did you interpret current day as in 2019-20 season or current day as in when they were with the Sixers? I interpreted it as right now, 2019-20. So did I. So we'll go off. Uh, I'm just, uh, no right or wrong, just happy we're on the same assumption. Um. So, and I'm assuming you went with anybody on the roster, those three major losing years, right? Right. When I when I'm surprised that people still talk about the process going on. Like, no, the process for me is those three years with Sam Hinkie and that rebuilding process that they were going through. There are some good players, but the, the problem when you look at this group, a little tilted, yeah, a little tilted towards tall guys. And, uh, so let, let me ask you this. Who was your starting point guard? I went ish. Mm. I went TJ. Did you? Well, I, I had so basically the way I approach this is I listed out basically who the options were at each position, and my three point guards were Ish, TJ, and believe it or not, Isaiah Cannon. No, Tim Frazier. Well, no, that's true. Because I, I was thinking of, I guess I didn't think of him much because when he was actually with the Sixers, he was pretty much nothing. But yeah, that that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I went with TJ just because of sentimentality although you know you could argue that ish with his uh with his quickness and on a team that you know we're going to get through the rest of this roster does not have a lot of creation right going on so yeah i think you can uh it, it's fair to put ish up there but uh I, I went sentimentality i went with tj but uh yeah the uh the point guard position it was a little easier to do than the shooting guard position but the uh you know n- not the greatest group of players yeah, that is for sure. All right, uh, let's go to shooting garden. Well, I went huge. So, you know, like this guy, I would argue, is more of a four than a two. And with the Sixers, I would say offensively, he played more of a four than a two. But I went with Cove as my shooting guard. Yeah. And there was See, really is- no other option. Jakar <laughs> was Jakar was my backup. <laughs> just because he is playing in the NBA. I was trying to choose between Jakar and Stauskas. And I sat there for like a good, like, like must have been at least two minutes thinking about this one stupid question. This one stupid uh, section of a stupid question. And I just thought like, what am I doing with my life? I'm like, well, Nick, like this team really needs some shooting, but you know, he's really not that good of a player and Jakar has grown a lot over the last few years, but it was only a short run that Jakar, and I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I think you're right. I think put Cove at shooting guard so you can get more talent on the floor, but who boy is that team not going to be able to shoot? Who boy. So Stauskas' shooting still remains one of the bigger mysteries. Yeah, he, he couldn't shoot back then. Why? He was the greatest shooter I've ever seen at Michigan. He had a pretty good shooting year for Cleveland last year, but but he's yeah. in Spain now, I think. So yeah, he's not in the NBA. That, that's also a good point. It's tough to pick someone who's not in the NBA. There's a lot of guys who are killing it over in Europe. I think uh, James Anderson is playing with the yeah. Misic man for for FS now. He's uh he's carved out a nice European career. He was playing for a Lithuanian team for a time. If we do this podcast and or if we revisit this question in three years, uh, Misic might be the start the answer at point guard. But he never played during the process. You're just going with guys he was who drafted. He during the process. That's true. 
That's true. I uh, I've soured a little bit on Mitchich over the years. I think. Uh, well, look, we're talking about Ish Smith and T.J. McConnell. Oh yeah, I mean, he can certainly shoot better than both of those guys. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I went with Cove at shooting guard just because this team is huge and, and most of the best players are kind of fours and fives. Yeah. The other option I had was off guard Isaiah Cannon, which is whew, whew. Is he? He's not in the NBA anymore, right? I don't think so, but yeah, I have no idea. You never know. All right, small forward. Uh, assuming assuming Cove now is a shooting guard. Yep. Recency bias here. This is a ridiculous position for this guy to play. Christian Wood <laughs> <laughs> scored thirty two. He no, I look with the Christian coronavirus Wood's, scored thirty two points. In my lineup. He's in my lineup. Um. So if you're saying that he is not your your three, I would guess it's Glenn Robinson is your three? No. I wanted a Thaddeus Young Jeremy Thad. Grant front court. You can call them whatever whatever you want, but my, my four my three and four was Thad Young and Jeremy Grant. Fair enough. I have I have Thad as my backup four. But uh then I went with Christian Wood and I know what was the story with him with the body fat before the yeah, NBA he, draft? He, Coming into the draft uh, out of UNLV, he had like a 15% body fat, but weighed like 220 pounds at six foot 10. Like this dude was all skin, bones, and fat. And, you know, from what you understand, he, he had pretty much never seen the weight room at UNLV. He was, um, you know, just not, he, he was not overweight, but he was also not in shape. And there was no, no real muscle, muscle definition there. He was not prepared to play NBA basketball when he was with the Sixers. To his credit, he has grown a lot. He's going to get paid, Whoever he's signing team, I would be scared of the contract he's going to get next, but we'll see. He's going to get paid. He's playing really well right now. The the thing I remember about him was that dude would woof Buffalo Wings, (laughs) both before and after games, and he wouldn't play, and he, he wouldn't know anything that was going on. So I think his ascendancy to... Frankly, a very good NBA player over the past few months has been surprising, but uh, but good for him, and I hope he's uh, he gets back healthy. The uh, did you have anybody else in the running for the three besides that? Um, honestly, if it would have been for back then, I liked what Luke brought a lot. Uh, I wanted to add Andre Kirilenko in here just on a technicality, but obviously he hasn't. He wasn't even playing back then, so he certainly isn't playing now. Uh, and I, th- I thought about going with two bigs and then keeping just one of those. Um, I mean, I thought about the Nerlens, Rashawn Holmes, Christian Wood, Dwayne Dedman center block. I thought of just putting Christian Wood as a power forward. You know what team Luke would have fit perfectly on? He would have fit great on the Shake Milton, Al Horford, Tobias Harris team. That team was mm-hmm. all offense, no defense. Luke was the guy who could bump up your defense from the perimeter pretty strongly. And if you had enough creation and a good enough offensive system, because if you remember that 14, 15 season where they were legitimately like a good story for a little while, like you, you couldn't come in to Philadelphia and sit three of your best players and win by the end of that year. That right. qualified as a good story back then. You know, it was, we took what we could get, but uh, that team one of the worst offenses of all time with him and Nerlens running the show, but pretty much a, a top 10 defense. And I used to love how Brett used to be like, we're a top 10 defense. It's like, well, you're also literally the worst off. Like you're like 
It's because every player you're playing is only in the NBA because they can play defense. You're like an Ivy League team playing in the NBA <laughs> yeah. offensively. Terrible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, Luke was good. I would put Glenn Robinson in there. That's fair. That's fair. Especially with the season he's having. Yeah, that's fair. Um, he's again, just such an, he was a little bit of match thought because when he was here, he wasn't very much. No. So center, I had Christian Wood and I debated this one way too much. Like I said, I almost slid Wood to power forward so I could have another center in here. My head, I mean, Rashawn deserves consideration because the year he was having before he got injured. Definitely. And Nerlens has quietly turned into one of the better backup centers in the league. And I think a lot of people overlook him because they kind of want to shit on him for not being a starter and not getting that huge contract when he's really turned himself into a good 18 to 20 minute per game player. The problem here with all of these is I don't trust really any of them long-term, at least not in a big starting role. Like Christian Wood has the highest upside, especially offensively, which is why I went with him. I don't trust his decision-making, his basketball IQ, his dedication, or any of the stuff you'd want to worry about over the next five years of contract. Norrell's Noel, I trust him defensively, but again, similar maturity concerns. You wouldn't want to give him that big contract. Rashawn Holmes, once again, don't really trust his defensive IQ, and I have to watch a lot more of what he's done this year to see whether or not he's overcome that or whether he's putting up stats. And Dwedman has really regressed here over the last two years. So it's a, it's a both the deepest position that you have for this question, but also maybe the trickiest. Yeah. I think you're missing one name, too. He's my four-string center. JaVale McGee. Oh, that's true. I'll never forget when he got here. He's like, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna be a mentor for these young kids. And Brett's like, whoa, I don't... You, you. He got traded, I think, in like three days. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious, right. I, because he started for two finals teams, and now is starting for a team... Yeah, the Lakers have the second-best record in the league. Yeah. No, just, you're, it's just crazy how you can use... That skill set, but if you put him on a bad team, it's just a disaster. Yeah, he, you're right. I, I barely even remembered he existed. That was fun, though. That was a big deal when he came here. For, existed on the Sixers, I mean. He had some unbelievably bad bloopers, too, which uh, which was good. Yeah, I went with Deadman starting. Deadman, Nerlens, Rashawn JaVale is my depth chart. And I think I skipped over my fours. My fours are Jeremy and Thad hmm. at the four. That's right. You have Christian Wood at the three. Hey, man. You know, <laughs> we're talking about positionless basketball here. <laughs> also dribbleless. Yeah. Wait a minute. So who's your second best ball handler? Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that, that team will be fun to watch. It's a little bit like this one, the current one. I don't know. I haven't seen how Deadman's doing uh, ball handling <laughs> recently, but I don't uh you can't label Cub as your second best ball handler, unfortunately. No, no, you can't. No. All right, let's take one more quick break, this time to hear from the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? Turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process 
that brings your suitor tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding day so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suitor tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code SIXERS. That's theblacktux.com, code SIXERS for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. And now back to the show. All right, let's move on to the next question. That was, uh, that was an interesting question. Um, from Brandon Lee Gowton, our, our old, old friend from the Liberty Ballers days. To what extent do you think the Sixers are better off now than they were in the era that preceded the process? If you had to assign a percentage to the Sixers' chances of winning a title then versus now, what would the answers be? It's way higher. It's a significantly higher, yes. I mean, it was 0% then, and you actually had to go through three years of, as Sam Hinkie said, replenishing the crops. I would say losing your ass off for three straight years, which they did really well and making, you know, the smart forward thinking trades that Hinky made and, and really nobody else was, was even attempting to do. It was a, it was a good market to, uh, to jump in. They have Joel and beat and Ben Simmons now. And, and while their odds are not as high as we all thought they would be probably as recently as two years ago when, you know, they, they had that surprise 52-win year, and it felt like a disappointment when they lost to Boston in the second round. But we're talking about 0% versus an actual percentage. Yeah. And look, I don't know exactly, like, if we're talking about one title over the next X years, I'm not 100% sure how I would calculate those odds. Like, if we said, look, what's our odds of winning a title this year? Well, assuming that there's a season to be played, a postseason to be played. You'd probably say what their odds of beating the Bucks are maybe like fifteen percent, and then their odds of then beating like so you're you're talking single digit percentage. But if you then have five years of single digit percentages, like there's a chance, there's a chance you could take some swings, and you could you could you could increase that well above single digits too if you make just a couple of right moves here. So yeah, I mean, look, if you're telling me like over the next five years, what are the chances of winning a title? It might be like fifteen, twenty percent, like overall. Yeah. Uh, just because you have two two guys, one who is borderline top 10 with the way he's played this year, has had seasons in the past where he was in the top 10, or at least a season in the past where he was in the top 10. Another player who has the physical attributes to get there and is still only 23 years old. So, like, you've got time, you've got talent. You've got to start making smarter moves. You've got to start managing your resources better. And you've got to start getting guys that actually fit these two players so you have a chance to... Uh, you know, to overcome maybe what they can't do. Uh, but you still have the, the, the starting block is still there. And uh, I think we sometimes lose sight of that a little bit. The hard part is to get the superstars, the top 20 players. And that's part of the problem. I do think it's funny, the the idea of, you know, my friends after a frustrating loss will be like, we got to do the process over again. And it's there like, it's, it's funny to say that in, in frustration, but the thing about doing the process over again is that if, like, let's say you suck this year, there is nobody in this draft that looks like a great player this season. So, like, if you got the number one pick 
who are you taking that guy Anthony Edwards who has the worst habits in, in the history of the world like the, the hard part is getting him beaten Simmons so as, as frustrated as anybody might be with how they have handled building a team around him beating Simmons we're talking about a, a pretty good situation league-wide and, and to go back to BLG's question 2012 that's about the worst situation I've ever seen in my life yep no picks, no young talent, no cap space at that point. It was awful. Awful. This is so much better. Yep. Drew Holiday was just good enough to keep you from being Drew, Drew Holiday by himself was just good enough to keep you from being in the running for these guys that you really need. All right, last one, and then we will let you go. And I forget I didn't write down who sent this, so I apologize for that. He basically asked, if, is there a possibility of an amnesty if there's a drop in revenue? And then I will add to that question because truthfully, like, do we know what the NBA is planning? No. This would be a good place so for you, the financial one. Yeah, I'll, I'll add, if there is an amnesty, who would you amnesty in this hypothetical? Hmm. Wow. wow. It, it's closer than it probably should be. My guess is you're going to say Tobias. So obviously Al is a shorter contract, you know, by one year, you've got three years left on Al. One of them is only partially guaranteed. You've got four years left on Tobias with Al. You have a starting salary next year of 27.5 million with Tobias. You have 34.4 Tobias escalates to 39.2 Al drops to 26, five. So basically, uh, what's Al's guarantee on his final year? Like 14, I think? Yeah, I think it's... I think 12 million was non-guaranteed. I think it's, yeah, it's like 14 and a half or something like that. In that that ballpark, for sure. uh, Let's see. You've got 14 and a half versus... To me, while you're tabulating this, I wonder if the answer to this question is simply the, the one who is harder to trade. Oh, yeah. So with Tobias over over the pat- last two seasons of these contracts, so 2022-23, which is Al's partial guarantee, and 2023-24, which is when Al is gone, Tobias is owed an additional $62.4 million guaranteed over Al. It's pretty big. So, you know, and we also don't have to eat the money. Like, this is one where you can call Josh Harris a cheapskate without talking about any sort of morality um, involved just running a basketball team with this weird option that might present itself. I will Uh, say like how many one more quick point before we get back to that with the way Josh Harris and the Sixers operated by getting the salary cap floor on the final day of the trade deadline. And again, what you pay to a player is different than team salary and the team salary calculation takes our full year salary of the players you have on at the end of the season. I don't want to get back to that era. Well, but like they would add $10 million right on the last day because they'd really only be paying like $3 million in actual salary and they'd get credited for $10 million. You did that for three years. Take those $7 million a year you were saving, pay your damn employees during this pandemic. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's a great point. The uh, the trade deadline where they ship Michael Carter Williams out, that was a masterclass in adding salary at yes. the last possible moment when you could. 
Uh, what were some of the better? That's what we should do. We should take the, some of the names of the salaries they added and build a team from their primes. So, like, didn't they have, like, was it, like, Mashburn? Who did they? There's somebody that was, like, hadn't played in, like, a year and a half or something, someone that they added. They had Danny Granger for a minute. Granger, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. Mashburn would have been pretty fucking old at that point. I'm pretty no, sure. No, no, no. Mashburn, I'm league. thinking of a different. I think Mashburn was traded the Sixers at some point. Yeah, he I was. I think that was a different era. He was. Who was he traded the Sixers? Or no, yeah, Glenn Robinson. Yep. I was the watching. OG Glenn Robinson. Yep. Speaking of Mashburn, I was watching the 92 Kentucky Duke Leitner shot game on, I think it was. Wasn't Sun- Mash once almost traded for Allen Iverson? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was watching that game on Sunday on CBS, by the way. I cannot believe, and a lot of people made this point on Twitter, but I really, it's unbelievable. There was a time when people watched sports on TV and didn't know the score at all times. Yes. Yes. You ever watch one in like standard def recently and like you have to squint just to see the scoreboard section? Pretty bad. It's really crazy. What was the question? I don't even know. I forget. Hold on. It was, uh, oh, who, 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 who amnesty? So here's the thing. I think my my answer not, is who who can you trade for less stuff basically? Who can you trade more as an expiring contract or whatever? And then you have to see the other one. Yeah. So I think you're probably I think if you trade Tobias because of that extra 62.4 million on the back end, I think you're going to take salary back that's more than a year in, in length. But I also think if you trade Tobias you're going to end up getting a better more useful player. Whereas with Al, your best case scenario is is pretty much going to be expiring contracts. But you could open up space. Well, you don't know now with how the uh, yeah I have no idea the money and goes that, down. But that's the, a great point too. It, and it's tough because I think we would be sitting there in next season and saying, "Why are you punting on a season with Embiid and Simmons?" But you know, there's always the allure of cap space and the. Uh, 2021 off season. So there was, there's I'll a- say I'll take, I'll take the easy answer and I'll say Al just because he's not only a big contract, but he doesn't fit, but there's a, <laughs> there was a real thought in my mind and that is hashtag not great. Yeah. Um, I, I would say Al as well, but the fact that it's a question and I think like it's, it's a reasonable argument the other way. It's not great. If, uh, if Tobias was making Al's contract, then I'd be a lot happier with him. All right. I think that is any other stray thoughts before we let you go. No, just stay inside people. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.